When we began this morning, Chris said, do you see anything new? He thought you only saw that. What about that? You know, I, I think our creative design team is up to something. And I didn't know what to do with this, so I got this table and a little light over here so that this little light of mine would shine. I feel like I want to say here, welcome to the dark side. I'm not sure what's going to become of this, but keep your eyes open for what takes place over the next few weeks. I'll be leaving on vacation this Thursday, and I'll be gone for two Sundays from the pulpit, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what's there when I get back, I think. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness. That's where we land today. Kindness. Let me be a little kinder. Let me be a little blinder to the faults of those about me. Let me praise a little more. Let me be a little meeker with the brother that is weaker. Let me think more of my neighbor and a little less of me. So, Glenn Campbell's song from 1968 that he wrote and he sang. I've never begun a sermon with Glenn Campbell. There's a lot of new things going on today. We've all heard people say he or she is such a kind person. What do they mean? What does kindness look like? Kindness is a word that's used very sparingly. I went to the local library where I live and found that kindness wasn't even included in the subject category of the card index. Even the dictionary was not overly enlightening. Kindness, adjective, helpful, predisposed to give pleasure or relief. What qualities have you seen or experienced in others that make you say, you know, that is a very kind person? I've come to believe that kindness is love in little doses, little things done because you care. Kindness is like those stalagmites found in caves around the world. You know, those columns which grow slowly from the bottom of the cave floor by incessant, persistent dripping, drip, 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 much slower than that, over hundreds and even thousands of years, and speck by speck of mineral attaches and keeps growing those stalagmites. They're called mites because they might reach the ceiling someday. They're called tights when they drop down because they're held tight to the ceiling and they might make the floor. Kindness is the drip. Seemingly insignificant by itself, but when added over time, is the source of growth. Kindness like the drip is love in little doses. A woman named Mamie Adams always went to her branch post office in her small town because the postal employees there were so friendly. She went there to buy stamps just before Christmas. She happened to go at a time when the lines were particularly long 
And someone in the line pointed out to her that she need not wait in line because there was a stamp machine in the lobby. She responded, I know, but the machine won't ask me about my arthritis. I'd like you to listen to a text I'm going to read for you from first, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. This is a story that I hope resonates with you throughout this whole sermon. David, the king, asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Mader of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth? At your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, the grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's house Household were servants of Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. There's some backstories, which I won't get into today, but that's the story of David and Jonathan and Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. David was a mighty man, he was a gentle shepherd a prolific songwriter and singer, and a fierce warrior. The greatest king that Israel ever had, aside from King Jesus. A man of unrivaled loyalty. David and Jonathan, King Saul's son, had become best of friends. They made a promise to each other that was to be kept even if one of them died. Jonathan and his father Saul were killed in battle. David mourned them both even though Saul had made David an enemy. 
Soon after David becomes king, he keeps his promise and he provides for Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, cul-de-sac, a note. Be kind when you name your children. (laughs) Mephibosheth is not a kind name. Can you imagine being a first grader with that name at school? I had a seventh grade substitute teacher. In my later life, I've come to believe she probably was just putting us on. But she wrote her name on the blackboard as we came into the class that day. My name is Mrs. Rosie Bottoms. (laughs) And of course, we couldn't laugh, but most of us were going like this, (laughs) holding it back. And then she put parentheses underneath. My husband's name is Harry. Let's be kind with our names. Our youngest son, Ted, whose name is actually Theodore, (laughs) T-H-E-O-D-O-R-E. In a paintball reservation, he gave the name of his team, Theodore's team. When the team was called, the announcer pronounced his name, The Odor. Not kind. (laughs) Of all the things that David did as king, all the things that he accomplished, all the victories that he brought, all the profound changes in Israel, all the pursuit of God, even his own failure became public information. And Psalm 51 is a beautiful example of a confession and a desire for God's salvation to be restored in one's life. Of all the things that David did as king, this was a small thing, but profound. It was a thing of great kindness. It was love in little doses for his best friend who was no longer present. He had died. Is it any wonder that David in the scripture is called a man after God's own heart, Acts 13, 22. Kindness. David gives us an example. But you know, there is a flaw in the facets of our lives. There's a weed to kindness in the garden. Lady Macbeth had a complaint about her husband. She believed that he was, quote, to full of the milk of human kindness, end of quote. In her self-centered goals, there was no room for anything as inconvenient, as counterproductive, as taking time to be kind to those whom she felt would be much more useful out of the way. To her, people existed to be used until their usefulness was exhausted, then they were expendable. Unfortunately, that lady today has many followers. And people are thrown away routinely by people in our world. The weed to the facet of kindness is universally me first. In other words, my way, not God's way. But there is a particular weed to kindness, a subtle weed, not as aggressive and forthright as Lady Macbeth's, but just as effective at choking out the fruit of kindness. 
I refer to this weed as the blindness to kindness. And there are two strains of this disease, this flaw, this weed. First, blindness caused by busyness. Not business, busyness. David was not too busy being king to remember his best friend and his best friend's family. David actually saw Mephibosheth. How about the Mephibosheths in our life? Do we see them? How's our eyesight? I remember one backpacking experience in the Sierra Nevada just beyond Tuolumne Meadows in the upper backcountry of Yosemite National Park. I was taking a college group on this four-day camping trip, and I was in a big hurry to get us to our destination, so I moved them very quickly over the 11,000-foot pass and down to some small lakes to set up our four-day campsite. I was so proud. We made the 13 miles in just under 13, three and a half hours. We were trekking. Upon arrival, the first and the only time I developed altitude sickness. It's the only time I've ever had altitude sickness, and I've been in pretty high altitude many times. I knew what I had to do. Drinking more water was not going to be enough. I needed to get to a lower elevation. But the only way was over the 11,000-foot pass back to lower elevation. I was very sick. I could not walk fast at all, was being helped on both sides. Even though I still needed to carry my pack, it was too heavy for anybody else to add it to theirs. But at the slower pace, even though my head was pounding, I realized the incredible beauty I had missed because of the inbound pace I had set. I had been too hurry to get there and missed so much. But my slower pace allowed me to see things I had missed before, even though I was terribly distracted. I'd been blinded by the need for speed. In the story Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite were both probably very good people, people we would have liked personally very much. But the kindness they could have shown the wounded traveler was blinded by their busyness. They had places to get to in a certain time. The weed killer to busyness is called slowing down. Do you ever feel the need to slow down? Or is your foot on the gas all the way, all the time? I've discovered as I've gotten a little older, I don't need to go so fast. In fact, I can't. It's a blessing. But I still try. And in preparing for this message today, I kept asking, why do I do that? Why can't I learn from my trip over Mono Pass in Yosemite? The frenetic pace we have needs to be abandoned. It's blinding us. It always has, to the point we don't even know we're blind. We just don't know what we don't see until we have to go slow. 
The overstimulation of our lives needs to be simplified. We need God's intervention by the Holy Spirit to stop stop living in the blindness, in the blur, because of our busyness. Only the Holy Spirit can root this weed out of our lives and produce the healthy fruit or the dazzling, sparkling facet of God's diamond he's made us to be so that we can be kind. Kind takes time. It takes slower from us in living our lives. A second strain of this blindness to kindness is caused by self-centeredness. This is the world we live in. We may not openly say it or even own up to its tendency, but me is rampant in our culture. This predisposition to me is the way the stream of our culture current goes. It's just how it is where we live. We can't get away from it. We don't have to participate in it. The predisposition to me blinds us to see others because we are looking, not to see others because we're looking out for the me. Jesus spoke directly to this strain of the weed when he said, and I paraphrase him, if you try to save your life, that is, if you live life your way, you will lose life. You won't get it. But he said, if you give your life in service to others, that is, if you live life his way, you'll gain life. We need God's intervention in our lives to stop living in the blindness of me. In a church that I served many years ago, there was a young woman who'd become very troubled um, emotionally, very immature, mentally, not everything clicked. And she had become very preoccupied with her condition, and it was understandably so. And she would come to the staff and periodically would say, I need help. I, I'm just, I'm swallowed up by me. I'm swallowed up by my life. I'm swallowed up by my condition. I'm swallowed up by how I don't connect. I'm swallowed up. And those were her words. And she kept saying, there's something wrong with me. But knowing that something's wrong doesn't solve a problem. And God gave us, as we met with her over time, a possible antidote to her me struggle. I got her involved in volunteering, in giving herself to taking care of some other people. Even in the place where she lived, an apartment complex, there were people who were as needy or more so than she was. And getting her involved in that volunteering and serving changed her life. She got a new focus. She had opportunity to see legitimacy and that she was needed by other people. And it began to buoy her spirits. It didn't change her emotional immaturity. It didn't change her mental challenge. But it changed her character. It changed her life. And she began to shine like a beautiful diamond as she served the people around her. The weed to kindness can destroy us. 
Just as there are also fake diamonds, there's also false fruit or false kindness. Kindness that has strings attached. The string of convenience is one of them. Counterfeit kindness can only fit my schedule. And if it won't cost me too much, if anything at all, it's got to be convenient for me. That's not kindness. How do we support this string of convenience and claim Jesus as our Lord when we remember that his ministry life was all about inconvenient interruptions in order to help people in need? If you read the gospel slowly, you'll discover the most significant things outside of the cross and the resurrection that Jesus did were interruptions that came his way as he was going to somewhere else. It's amazing how often that happens. The second string is the string of reciprocation. Counterfeit kindness of this type will only continue if it's mutual. I'll be kind to you as long as you're kind to me. If you're not kind to me, I won't be kind to you. I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back. You don't scratch my back. I'm not scratching yours. You know how that works. It's so prevalent. How do we support that string of reciprocation and claim Jesus as our Lord when we remember that he said he came to serve and not be served? He gave his life as a ransom for many. And he did this before we even knew him. Real kindness cuts these and all strings to become genuine kindness produced in us by the Holy Spirit. I conclude this message with four simple phrases that I believe will help us understand what the Holy Spirit wished to cultivate in our life when it comes to kindness or love in little doses. The first is this. Kind hearts are the garden. The garden, the heart, is the control room of our life. The question, who has control of the control room? Who's in charge? For kindness to be a fruit in our life, God must be in charge. So is he? Have we really surrendered control of our life to God? Have we received Jesus as Savior and as Lord? Salvation has come not because he is kind, though he is kind. Salvation has come at the cost of his life, payment for what we deserve. Don't count on kindness for salvation. Count on the cross. That's the only way. That's the starting place. That's the garden. And it must be his to be fruitful. As you look at the parables about the kingdom of God, the one thing we're told in the parable of the four soils is what we are. You know what we are in that parable? We're dirt. We're one of the four kinds of soil. Are we receptive? Are we hard-nosed? Are we choked out by other things? Are we hard-packed? We're dirt. That's the best we can be. But we are the dirt in which God longs to plant his seed for life. It begins in the garden. Second, kind thoughts are the roots. If our heart is his, if the garden of our life belongs to him, there is still something for us to do. Begin to intentionally think, how can I show love like Jesus showed love for me? How can I pay forward what Jesus has done in my life? What can I do or say to make this person, this meeting, this situation, 
this experience better because of God in my life. Begin to intentionally think, what person needs kindness showed to them today? Every once in a while, I don't do this every day, but every once in a while before I come up here to Berlin, traveling that 40 minutes on the parkway, I begin by saying, okay, Craig, today you're going to let a pushy driver come in on you. You'll let them in. You won't try to keep them from coming in. You'll actually let them in. If I don't plan to do that, I default into holding them off. And I'm, why do I do that? What does it matter? I gain two seconds maybe at most. Let them in. Be kind. Forgive a waiter or waitress for forgetting your request. Graciously ask them again and tip them anyway. That's how they make their money. If you've ever been a waiter or a waitress, you know it matters deeply. Open a door for someone. You don't know them. All the better. Open a door. Think how we can give little doses of love. That's kindness. That's the seed Jesus planted when he put himself in our garden. Third, kind words are the flowers. If our heart is his, if our thoughts are growing deeply into intentional kindness, then speak kind words. Let them be heard. Let the words show what's in our heart, the garden of our life. As we become quick to listen, the Holy Spirit will be quick to give us kind words to say, words that recognize, words that include, words that encourage, words that build up. I've had times when people have come and said to me, you look sick. And until then, I wasn't. Have you had that experience? Or, or my, my favorite one, oh, it looks like you put on a little weight this winter. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> I put on a lot of weight. Recognize it, will you? <laughs> Words are the early building blocks of kindness with others. They open the door to kind deeds. And kind deeds are the fruit of love. Love in little doses. David's kindness to Mephibosheth were done because his heart was God's garden. His thoughts were God's thoughts. His words were instructing others in God's ways. So his deed came easy. Love Jonathan's son. Help a neighbor trim a tree. Help a sick neighbor by giving them a meal. Help a stranger change a tire. God has redeemed and rescued us by his son in order to transform us into the likeness of Jesus, in order to fill us with his love. We are diamonds of love in the rough. And like a fine jeweler, God's Holy Spirit cuts and shapes us to become dazzling. The facet of joy is God's love smiling on us and through us. The facet of peace is the goal of God's love in all our relationships. The facet of patience is the perseverance of God's love in all circumstances. And the facet of kindness is God's love in little doses given to people all around us. That's what his diamond 
work in us is meant to do. May our hearts truly be God's garden in which he grows, his kindness. May our mind produce kind thoughts, roots in the thoughts of God. May our words be the flowers of kindness blooming for all to see and hear. And may our deeds be the fruit of God's love in little doses, given freely to others. Frederick Faber, a British hymn writer and theologian, he wrote, Kindness has converted more sinners than zeal, eloquence, or learning. And isn't that our mission? To win people to Jesus? Kindness is God's way. Pray with me. Kind and merciful God, for me I give you permission to reproduce your character in my life. And I pray that all in this room would give you permission to reproduce your character in their lives. You made us long for you. You redeemed and rescued us to become like your son, Jesus. May your will be accomplished and lived out in our lives. Make us a people who are kind for Jesus' sake and for the sake of those around us. In his name we pray. Amen.